your life is going tonight, whatever you're facing at home, at work, in your health, in your job, at school, <laughs> Jesus loves you. Did you hear that? Can I say it again? It feels good, doesn't it? Jesus loves you. And you love him. Let's open our hearts in prayer to him and tell him we love him tonight. You took our sins and sorrows. You took our guilt and shame. You took our darkness and dungeon. And you gave us light, cleansing, forgiveness, life, and love. We only thought we understood love until we met you, Jesus. And then we found out that you are love incarnate. And though the world would turn their backs upon you, when we look in your eyes, we see nothing but that holy, pure, wonderful love that caused you to go to the cross, pour out your blood, that caused you to rise from the grave and burst open a sealed tomb, that caused you to ascend to heaven and sit on heaven's throne where you yourself intercede always for us. You love us. How awesome. We pray tonight that we would not just feel your love, but we would experience your love in our hearts and our lives and our attitudes and our behaviors, that it would transform us from the things of this world, from the natural man to a holy creation, a new creation in Christ Jesus, a creation of love. To that end, Lord, we put off the old self and we put on the new, the new man, the new person, made new in the attitude of our minds and the condition of our hearts and the cleansing and purifying of our souls. You created us in love to be like God in true righteousness, holiness, truth, joy, and peace. And we simply pray tonight, whatever else is going on, let us continually be made like you. So come, Lord Jesus, in your Holy Spirit. Come in your power. Come in your purpose. Come in your purity. But come in the holy passion of your love. And make us like you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, Professor Joe is going to come and share the word. Good evening. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Um, the quieter you are, the longer I preach. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's good to be good to be here tonight. Um, wonderful grace is the title of the 
the message tonight. Uh, do you believe God's grace is indeed wonderful? Are you convinced of that? I mean, you believe that, uh, you can base your life on it. Amen. I, I, I believe that. Uh, there are two passages of scriptures uh, of scripture tonight that we want to spend a little time with tonight. Uh, Titus chapter two, verse eleven through fourteen. And keep that open somewhere, and then First uh, Corinthians fifteen and verse three. There's two short passages tonight, and. Uh, The longer I live, the more convinced I've become that there is something desperately wrong with the human race. I, I know some people who refuse to watch the evening news because of the bombardment of bad news. Day after day. There is no doubt we live in a culture of violence. Some sociologists have termed that. We live in a culture of violence. Uh, those who have studied trends and study uh, culture, uh, some have gone so far as to suggest that that human beings come into this world a clean slate. But, but go bad by a spoiled environment. One should ask, then who has spoiled the environment? At the turn of the 20th century, there was great optimism, at least in the United States, as far as Christianity was concerned. In fact, several holiness churches, including the Church of the Nazarene, were in their infancy at the turn of the 20th century. Church leaders conveyed this optimism in sermons, in church magazines, they, they saw the 20th century as the, the Christian century. And uh, in the holiness movement, it was uh, all out to Christianize Christianity, to spread scriptural holiness to the ends of the earth. In fact, there was a magazine that was called the Christian century. I remember when I was in school, I... I looked at that magazine, and it had become so liberal. And one of the articles I read was uh, a scholar trying to justify homosexuality from the book of Leviticus. That, uh, but this optimism was shattered. Two world wars, not to mention regional conflicts, Great Depression, the sexual revolution of the 60s. This would have us to rethink our notion 
of the Christian century. And, and, and you are wondering tonight along the same lines, what in the world is going on with the world? In spite of all our innovation and technology and advances in science and so many other disciplines, the human heart, according to the prophet Jeremiah, is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked or desperately sick. And he says in chapter 17, verse 9, who can understand it? That's the bad news. Are you ready for some good news? In spite of the pessimistic view of the human race, I want us to have a little conversation tonight in those two passages of Scripture. Uh, because I believe there is a biblical cure for the sick, sin soul. And in those two passages, Titus, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, if you recall, Paul had appointed Titus, his son in the faith. He had appointed him the overseer, the bishop, if you please, of the churches on the island of Crete. The Christians, uh, we may say, were the bottom of the barrel as far as ethics and morality was concerned. In fact, uh, as a matter of record, Paul wrote the Christians uh, about the Christians in, in chapter 1 and verse 12. And here's what he says. One of their prophets, one of their poets, uh, who studied their culture and studied trends in Crete, here's what he had to say about his own countrymen. He said, Christians are always liars. They're evil beasts, lazy. I'm not making this up. Gluttons. Boy, that's a tough bunch. In the other passage, the Corinthian passage, uh, a little background of, of Corinth, it has its own issues with human depravity. In fact, the term Corinth was synonymous or is synonymous with immorality. The city was vile, sensuous, sensual in, its, in its, the worst possible way. It boasted of the temple, the great temple of Aphrodite. Kind of a leftover from the Old Testament Baal fertility God worship. And in fact, it boasted of having thousands of prostitutes sexually active as part of the temple worship experience. That's Corinth. In fact, I was reminded that when Paul was writing the book of Romans, he wrote it while he was in Corinth. And I 
I have the opinion that Paul didn't go very far to describe human sin and depravity for just going to walk around Corinth. And when you get a chance, not right now, I need your full attention. When you get a chance, look up Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And it will give you a portrait of human depravity, of human sin. But tonight, there are four things, just four. I want us to spend a little time with tonight. The first one is that the entire human race is in need of salvation. Listen to our text tonight. This is the first two verses. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. An age Paul characterized in Galatians 1.4 as an evil present age, the evil present age. And the call from, from Paul's letter to Titus tonight is that the grace of God has come. The grace personified in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to all men and calling all men to say no to paganism and godlessness and to say yes righteousness and godliness in this present polluted world. All people, we may say tonight, as scriptures reveal, are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we may even classify sinners in two categories. The, the self-indulgent sinner, the one that goes all out like the prodigal son. Luke 15, go just, that's the younger brother. And the other category might be the older brother, the self-righteous, one who feels, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as Joe down there. Uh, you heard the, the, the story of those two guys, Jim and Joe. They were bad characters, bad actors in town. If, they, if there was any trouble around, one of them or both of them had something to do with it. That's how bad they were. And one of them died. And the other said, uh, um, Jim went to the pastor and says, uh, Pastor, you've got to say something nice about my brother. Uh, I, I know people do not like him. He's, he, he's, he lived a, a tough life. But this is his day. This is his funeral. Would you say something nice? I'll, I'll pay you whatever you have to say. Something nice about Joe. Well, the pastor agreed. And at the funeral, he simply said something like this. Well, those guys were interesting guys. But compared 
to Joe compared to Jim, Joe was a saint. <laughs> so you have the self-indulgent and you have the self-righteous, but they're both sinners and we're all sinners and needing help. So all the entire human race is in need of salvation. We, we, we can talk about the depth of human depravity. We need a Savior only if we need saving. And we all need saving. We need a Savior only if we cannot save ourselves. And that is, we cannot save ourselves. If sin was a thing, a substance, an entity, uh, maybe we could find some way of going down to Memorial Hospital and asking for surgery to remove sin from our chest. Or Penrose, or some other hospital. If it could be surgically removed, if it was some substance, something tangible, but it's not that. Human depravity. It is, it is not an entity, it is not a substance, it is a condition. It is a mindset. It, it, it is a bent. Some of you in doctrine of holiness will, will remember that. It's a proclivity, it's leaning in a particular way. It is fundamentally rebellion against God. The moral laws of God has been violated. It is mutiny against the governance of God, where we say, I will not do what God wants done. That's sin at its root. And so we cannot save ourselves. The human race needs help tonight, is in need of salvation. Reminds me of a story I heard of a little boy riding in the back seat. These were days before seat belts, and all he wanted to do was to stand up at the back seat of the car while his mom was driving, and she's trying to tell him, sit down, son. And he sits for a while, and then he pops back up, and he wants to see what's going on. There were no car seats then for a five- and six-year-old little guy. And in exasperation, she says, if you, if you do not sit down, I will stop the car and I'll let you have it. And so he sat down in the car and he folded his arm and he says, I'm sitting down, but in my mind I'm standing up. <laughs> That's a little story about sin. Not only does the entire human race need salvation, but the human race, the entire human race also can be saved. Not only do we have the need for it, but thanks be to God, can be saved. God has provided a cure for the disease. 
Amen. God has provided help for the helpless. God has provided power for the powerless tonight. So we're not totally debilitated and left to, to, to linger to, or, or to, to languish in our sin without hope and become hopeless and hapless. No. There is help. All human beings can be saved. Amen. To be, to be saved is to be delivered from the power and from the dominion of sin. From the enslavement of it. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to what he says. It is a trustworthy statement. I mean, it is so good. It is a statement you ought to put deep down in your gizzards. It is good. He says it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. You don't have to vote on it. It is yes. Amen. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, among whom? I am foremost of all. In another place in the book of Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were rebels, sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Christ breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. You heard the song tonight, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, thank God that all human beings can be saved. But there is a third thing. We're going to move along quite quickly here. That the entire human race not only need to be saved and can be saved, but we can know that we are saved. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Listen to this passage in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15. For I have delivered to you as a first importance, that's the First Corinthians one, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You have two witnesses. First, there is the testimony of eyewitnesses. He says, I have given to you, I, I transmit to you. It's almost like a transaction. I received it and I have given it to you that Christ died to save us according to the Scriptures, to forgive our sins. So there is the witness of the testimony of those who Paul received this from. But there's a second witness of the fact that we can know that we're saved, and that is the witness of Scripture, according to the Scriptures. I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that is from eyewitnesses. 
those who experience the saving, forgiving grace of God. And the scriptures. And for Paul, the scriptures, of course, was the Old Testament that bore witness to Christ's death and the Messiah and his coming to save the world. Paul writes in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So what do we know? We know that we can be saved, but how, how does that work? Well, we know we are justified. We know that. We know we are pardoned by God. We know we are adopted and accepted into the family of God. We know that. There is no hope so, maybe so, maybe. We know. We know we have been reconciled to God. We know we have been regenerated and, and that is made, we've been made new. In other words, holiness has begun. We know that. Uh, Paul writes again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We know that. Yes, we know that we have been quickened from death unto life. Wesley wrote of this witness. He says it's categorized in two ways. The first, there is the objective witness. That is the word of God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The objective witness of the scripture. These things uh, John wrote. I, these things I have written to you. Who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know. That you have eternal life. There's no guesswork. As a, as a Catholic. Growing up. There was always the question. Of whether you. Uh, you're going to go to heaven or not. The assurance issue was a big issue. And as a boy, we were sent every Saturday afternoon to go make confession, just to make sure. And uh, we were never sure. In fact, even after someone died, I remember in the case of my grandfather, they had to say certain masses for him to kind of make sure that he gets in. Never sure. But John says, I write these things to you. That's 1 John 5, 13. That you will know you have eternal life. We can know we're saved. Amen. I have just a few minutes. and I'm not through yet. That was the objective witness. The, the, the subjective witness, Wesley says, is the direct witness of the Holy Spirit where the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, the subjective witness. The Holy Spirit bears fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, amen, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The subjective witness in the heart 
that God so transforms the heart and so forgives us of sin that we know we now begin to bear fruit of the Spirit. The last thought I wanted to live with us tonight, not only that we all need to be saved and we all can know we're saved, right? And we all need to be saved. But the entire human race can be saved to the full extent of saving. <laughs> uh, say that in the superlative uh, way. That we can be saved as much as saving can save a human being. Listen to Paul in Titus. We're looking for the blessed hope, verse number 13 of our text, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his very own, zealous of good works. Not only does he forgive us, redeem us from our lawless depravity and sinfulness. But he cleanses. He purifies us so that we bear his image, his very own, his treasured possession, who, uh, his character. He, he makes us into his character. He so transforms our inner being that we become like him in character. That's what is getting at. In fact, one chapter later, in chapter 3 and verse 5, he goes on to say, He save us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There is Regeneration, yes, a new birth, a new, a new life is given. But there is the ethical, moral cleansing of the sin condition, of the proclivity to, to, to rebel against God from, from the condition that we inherited from Adam. He wants to wash us and renew us in the Holy Spirit. Here's how Wesley summarized this, and then we'll finish up. Wesley says in this most important passage, he's referring to 3.5 of Titus, the apostle presents us with a delightful view of our redemption. Herein, he says, we have the cause of it, not our works of righteousness, but the kindness and the love of God, our Savior. Not by our deeds, but the mercy and the love and grace of God who comes and forgives us and cleanses us. Secondly, he says, the effects which are justification, being justified, being pardoned through the loan merits of Christ. And then thirdly, he says, sanctification expressed by the washing of regeneration, that is baptism, the thing signified as well as the outward sign, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit which purifies the soul as water cleanses the body, the spirit purifies, cleanses the soul. And it renews it in the whole image of God. Friends, 
we are delivered tonight from the penalty of sin. That is the guilt of sin that it brings to us. We are delivered from the power of sin over us. That is, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are delivered from the very pollution of sin that we inherited. And someday we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Hallelujah. Yes, full salvation. Provision is made in the atonement of Christ for the entire sanctification of believers. Listen to the Hebrew letter. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate, the city gate. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. So what? What does that have to do with what we're saying? Pretty good. Tonight, some of you are wondering, what does that have to do with it has everything to do with it. God's goal for your life and for my life is to radically transform us and create in us his character and his likeness. If you're sensing or being convicted of the dis-ease, the dis-ease caused by the disease of sin, allow the Holy Spirit to woo you in tonight into Christ who forgives sin to its full extent, saves us, and makes us holy. The condition for receiving this gift is to surrender completely to God. It is possible that there might be some here tonight who need to come to Jesus and say, God, I, I want you to do an incredible work in my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Save me, sanctify me, whatever you want to do with me. Either way, they're both gifts from God. We do not earn them. We do not merit them. Freely given. God is there to help us. We're going to sing a song. And if you feel free to come, take a few moments to just ask God to help tonight. He's able. Amen.